Good morning, everybody. We're glad that you're here. Um, congratulations on finishing January. <laughs> Welcome to February. We all survived. Let's see if we can keep going. Um, I have a bajillion announcements because it's the first week of the month. So um, first of all, if it is your first time here, uh, take a second on your way out. And there's a little table by the door. And there's some really, really cool um, travel mugs that are just for you. Um, fill out uh, your information on the little card that says, hey, and um, leave it. And uh, we just want to connect with you. And you'll get emails about other things that Regen's doing. Um, so that's the first announcement. Um, if you would like to check in on Facebook, um, every check-in uh, generates a micro donation to Candice, which is somewhere. Um, oh, she's way back there. She is headed to Thailand this summer and is going to be serving um, the people that need to be served in Thailand. And so if you want to be part of that, check in, say that you're here um, through Facebook. Um, okay. Uh, circles. Uh, on Tuesdays at 6.30, there is a circle that meets in Howland. On Wednesdays at 6.30, there's a circle that meets in Cortland. We eat really good food. Um, we say, oh, it's, a, oh, you're right, it's flipped. Tuesday is in Cortland and Wednesdays in Howland. I'm not perfect, guys. Um, <laughs> um, we eat really good food, we read a little bit of God's word, we talk to him, we support each other. Um, it is a great way to get connected with the other people um, in Regen. So if you're feeling like, oh, I go to this place, but I don't really feel like I have anybody that I'm really like close with, that is a really good way to um, get connected with people. Um, Let's see. Um, okay, so the Better Together uh, Marriage Conference is coming up. Uh, you can register for that now online. Uh, if you are in a relationship with someone, it will be helpful, I promise. Um, Jaris and I both learned a lot and had some really, really good conversations. Um, and Otterbein wanted us to uh, let you all know that they are going to have a prayer box out in the hall over Lent. And um, they are going to be praying over um, the box and the prayers inside. It will be anonymous. And um, they just wanted uh, their Regen fam to know that you are welcome to um, just write down any prayers that you have and throw them in the box. So... With that, we'll continue worshiping Jesus. Hi, guys. So I'm going to pray for offering. I think that there's probably maybe one thing I need to remember, but me holding on to that is like really, like, okay, don't forget, don't forget. Um, so let's just pray really quick. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for being with us right now. God, without you, 
none of this is anything, nothing that we do at all uh, means anything. You breathe purpose into our days and our lives and our moments, and uh, we're just really grateful to have this time and space to come together and build each other up and to just steep ourselves in your presence and um, propel ourselves out into what you're doing and what your purposes are in our life. God, uh, you're the one who pours out blessing over us. You're the one who orchestrates our days. You're the one who is constantly working things for the, our good, and, uh, and we just thank you for that. God, I pray that uh, you just put it in our hearts um, to make a shift, um, that we could just be aligned with the way that you think um, as we give our offering, um, that it wouldn't be something that is of multiple mindsets and of, you know, a little bit of a tearing here while a little bit of a, you know, easy here, you know, we feel justified in one way, but in another way we feel unjustified. And God, I just pray that you would add stillness into that and uh, that this could just be a pure act of worship and, uh, and joy and uh, just holding your hand and, and just doing life with you again in another arena. In your precious name, amen. Hey God, thank you for um, this space. Thank you for this morning. Um, yeah, we just declare the words of those songs. God, um, we ask that in all we do, you would, um, you would use us to bring your kingdom and that it would all be for your glory. Amen. Well, hello everybody. We have an announcement. The kids can go back. That's the announcement. I was praying this morning, which sounds really spiritual, but believe me, if you were an introvert and you had to get up in front of a bunch of people, you would also be praying. Um, but then I remembered it's Super Bowl Sunday, so like nobody's going to be here. Um, <laughs> But that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I'm actually really excited uh, to be here today. I'm really excited about this message. Um, we're talking about practicing the way. We're talking about the way of Jesus as his people. What does it mean to follow him? Um, last week, Zach preached a pretty fire message. Um, and he pulled out a verse from the book of Job uh, that really got me thinking. I love the book of Job. It is like the saddest book of the Bible, but it's my favorite. I wore black to prepare for this week. Some of you also got the memo. Um, so we're talking about the way, the way of Jesus. The Gospel of John says, I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it abundantly. I think a lot of us, when we start following Jesus, that's what we signed up for, right? We saw someone live the gospel in a way that was compelling, in a way that had the fruit of abundant life. Or for a lot of us, it's just how we grew up. We grew up in a Christian home. Our parents raised us with those values, and because of our culture, because of the people we hang around, because of the things that we do, living a Christian lifestyle has been pretty fruitful, and we would say that we have had pretty abundant life. 
But what happens when we find ourselves in the wilderness? What happens when we find ourselves in the desert? What happens when the abundant life that we thought we were going to get looks a little bit different? Told you it was going to be really exciting. Uh, I'd like us to start in the book of Job. So if you have a Bible and you want to get that out, it is right before the Psalms, spelled like Job, pronounced like Job. It is one of the wisdom books, along with Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Uh, If you're not super familiar with the book of Job, it goes a little something like this. The scene opens up in the heavens. We have God and his adversary, Satan. They're having a casual conversation when Job points, God points to Job and says, hey, have you seen Job? Have you seen how blameless and upright Job is? Basically, Satan replies, yeah, but that's only because you have blessed him with so much. If you hadn't allowed him to be so wealthy and so successful, he would despise you. So God replies, all right, fine. Have at it. Everything Job has, all of his possessions, his wealth, his power, his respect, you can do whatever you want to those things. Just don't hurt Job and we'll see what happens. So there's two things I want to point out before we read the rest of this. The first, Job is super wealthy. He lives an extremely comfortable lifestyle. He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a whole army of servants to manage all of that. Now, if you don't have much value on a bunch of animals like me, that doesn't mean anything to you. Imagine that they're Porsches. There you go. (laughs) Job has also been blessed with seven sons and three daughters who he loves and makes burnt offerings for every morning. Second thing we need to keep in mind is that God already knows that Job is going to remain faithful through his trial. He says, before it begins, Job will remain faithful. Okay, Job chapter 1, verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrives at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. Your Porsches just got burned up. (laughs) I am the only one who escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home when suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job's response is like absolutely incredible. Job stands up and tears his robe in grief. Then he shaves his head and falls to the ground in worship. I don't know what it is about like bad stuff happening to you that makes you want to shave your head. I think this might be where Britney Spears got it. Kyle tells me it's a Jewish thing. I don't know. Job's response is amazing. He says, I came from my mother's womb naked, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me all that I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. We don't have time to read the rest of the book, so I'll sum it up. It goes something like this. For the next 36 chapters... Job's friends come to comfort him. For seven days, they just sit there in silence, which is probably what they should have kept doing. Uh, But eventually, they open their mouth and they try to convince Job that, hey, Job, if this God you believe in is actually so just and you haven't done anything wrong, then how's that like work out? Like, either God is just and you did something wrong, or God is not just and you're blameless. You you can't have it both ways. They don't understand. So for the next 36 chapters, Job says, no, actually, like, I haven't done anything wrong, and I do believe that God is just. During all of his wrestling with who he believes God is, the Bible records that in all of this, Job did not sin against God. Eventually, God shows up, but Job still doesn't get the answer that he's looking for, and his friends still don't understand, like, how has this happened? God responds, this is Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Then he takes Job on this kind of, like, cosmic, like, tour of the universe, and God's like, this is where I laid the stars, and this is where I painted in the mountains, and it's really beautiful. If you are looking for a good read, it's dynamite. Uh, Job replies to this in Job 42, 5 and 6, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is water, not coffee, if you were wondering why I just swished it. (laughs) I find it really interesting that in the beginning of the book, God already knows the outcome. God knows that Job will not abandon his faith. Throughout the absolute disaster that is made of Job's life, Job does, in fact, prove his faithfulness. God knows the heart of Job. God knows that Job will be faithful. 
Job is blameless and upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. God knows this. He's not asking him to prove it. So what is going on? God has known the character of Job, but now in the desert, in the sorrow and the heartache of all of this, Job has the opportunity to enter into a real relationship with God. First, Job is given the chance to really work out and fight for who he believes God is. God knows the character of Job, but now Job is solidifying in himself what he believes to be the character of God. By not allowing his friends to sway what he believes of God, by not allowing his situation to define who God is, Job's relationship becomes more than circumstantial. Job's faith becomes more than a bumper sticker. His faith becomes more than a cute saying on a t-shirt or a repost on Instagram or his favorite worship song that makes him feel really good. Because if you read the book of Job, it's pretty obvious he's not feeling good. Job has lost his family. He's lost his wealth. His friends think he's done something to deserve all of this. He's lost his respect. He looks at all of that and his faith is not changed. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I think that like most of us, Job probably never knew life without knowledge of God. His faith was probably handed down to him by his parents. And we know from the text that he's actually raising his children in the same way. Job's life, like many of ours, was super, super comfortable. He gave thanks to God for all he had, which was way more than he needed, but now he has the opportunity to walk with God in a new season. Job's relationship was once limited to giving thanks for all of the wealth and success that he had, but Job can now walk in a new relationship with God, one that is uncomfortable, one that is messy, one that more times than not actually left him pretty confused. Job has the opportunity to follow God in a way that requires relationship. Being in relationship with Jesus often involves being sent into the wilderness. Um, just kind of is what it is. Sorry. Bummer weekend, I told you. We know that as followers of Jesus, our relationship has two important parts. We have identity and we have responsibility. And throughout the Bible, we see God repeatedly use times of trial to help his people grow in both their identity and their responsibility. God uses the emptiness of the desert and the coldness of the wilderness to bring his people closer to him, which is their identity, and to prepare them for what is to come, which will be their responsibility. Like Job, in the wilderness, we have an opportunity to see God. 
God will use this to prepare us. After Job has seen God, he gets an upgrade in responsibility. What happens is after God comes out and he's done like explaining to Job, like, I am God and you're not, and so that's actual wisdom, um, he turns to Job's friends and he says, you guys, you're not doing so great. You're going to make a sacrifice, Job's going to burn it for you, and then he's going to pray for you. Job is upgraded to priest at the end of this. He becomes a priest on behalf of his friends. Repeatedly, we see God use the wilderness to give people upgrades. Moses spends 40 years in the desert before God raises him up to lead Israel out of Egypt. After God has delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt, but before they can enter the promised land, they spend a whole lot of time in the desert. David does a lot of time hiding from Saul in the desert before God can make him king. And before his ministry, surprise, Jesus goes into the desert. Interestingly here, it says that Jesus goes in led by the Spirit and he comes out full of the power of the Spirit. The Israelites spend a whole bunch of time in the desert Uh, After they leave Egypt, having been rescued from Pharaoh, they go on a very long journey to the Promised Land. If you don't know that story, basically, uh, they do some things wrong, and they end up staying there longer than they should have. This is uh, kind of recorded in Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy, Moses is like, they're about to enter the Promised Land, and he's giving them this speech. He's saying, like, listen, remember where you came from. I want to read part of that. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. Moses is giving us a really good insight here as to what the fruit of being in the desert is. We're going to look through this one more time. I threw some notes in here. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what's in your heart. Number one, wants to know what's in our heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, number two, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, number three which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Number four, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God will discipline you. Number five, everyone's favorite, discipline and repentance. Number one, heart surgery. 
first fruit of the desert. It is not dessert fruit. That's with two S's. Kyle taught me a really fun saying. Uh, what is it? Dessert is twice as nice than the desert. So two S's instead of one. There you go. There's your tip if you don't remember anything else. You're welcome. Heart surgery. God knows what is in Job's heart. But Job needs a chance to kind of clear up what he believes of God. God knows what's in your heart. Do you? God knew that Job wouldn't sin against him, but Job didn't know that. Job's never been in a season like this before. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Allowing what is in your heart requires honesty, and unfortunately, most of the time, it also requires discomfort. It allows us to open ourselves up to God. He's not interested in your bumper stickers, or your hashtags, or your Instagram pictures with the Bible and the coffee cup, and the, it doesn't matter. He wants to know what's actually in your heart, and though Job is fully faithful to God, he needs to have some things cleared up so that he can grow in both identity and responsibility. Job enters a bit of a shouting match with uh, God and his friends. Um, and though the Bible says that he very clearly did not sin against God, his openness in this kind of like reveals some wavery like, well, what is he? If you want to read more about that, you're going to have to just go in and read those middle 36 chapters. It goes something like, Job says this, and then his friend says this, and then Job says this, and then his friends say this, and it keeps going on. Um, we don't have time to read all that. God knows what's in your heart, do you. He will show you if you let him. Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Isn't this what following Jesus is about? Should we be surprised when this happens? Two and three, humility and provision. You won't go into battle if you don't know that you are protected. I went to ministry school in California, uh, but before that, I was living in Cincinnati. I was working at a startup. This, we made basketball hoops. It was really interesting. So I uh, figured out I was going to ministry school. It was a pretty quick decision. And I saved up as much money as I could between then and when I was supposed to leave, but I didn't have enough money to both go there, pay for school, and survive. So what I did was I put my school on a credit card. You know, you get those like introductory 0%, 15 months. I was like, that's fine, that's gonna work. Um, Cause I'll go out and I'll get a job. Plot twist, I didn't get a job. I didn't understand how hard it was gonna be uh, to find a job. Reading is not that big. Here, Ohio people, here's a lesson. 
People think of California and they're like, oh, it's all LA, it's all sunshine and beautiful thousands of people. Redding is kind of like the economy of Northeast Ohio if you take out the steel mills and <laughs> GM and Delphi and Aptiv or it, like, there's nothing there. It used to be a really big logging town, but California's changed the laws around deforestation, so there's just like, there's not much there. On top of that, it's only about 80,000 people. 10,000 of them are the people who've gone there for the same reason I was there. So all of like the like part-time jobs, we all had the same schedule. Nobody wanted to hire me. I did eventually get like a day labor, kind of like, you wanna talk about humility. I was like opening boxes of people's fire damaged crap and cleaning it and putting it in a different box. But that was only like, that lasted for like a month. So what's happening this whole time is I have this money that I'm living off and then I have this credit card and I've got like the minimum payment I have to make on that. And as you know, I'm there for a year. So eventually we're at the point where one day I'm in the parking lot of my bank, getting the change out of my cup holder, hoping that I can get $40 to make the minimum payment on my credit card. And I did, I ended up like eight cents over. And in that moment, I'm like laughing, because at the same time I'm learning about like who God is and the way he provides for us, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, God, you're, you're like loaded. $40 is not a thing to you. You could poof a thousand bucks into my bank account right now if you wanted. So why is this happening? I've always been pretty good um, with the way I manage my money. I've always been pretty self-reliant. I was raised that way. By the way, if you're wondering who this beautiful woman next to Jen is, that's my mom. Um, I don't think God is all that interested in our self-reliance. I think that there is a limit to how deep your relationship with Jesus can go if you're only willing to go as far as you believe you can provide for yourself. I think God has bigger plans for us than we are capable of achieving on our own. And what I needed to learn in that season wasn't how to make money to provide for myself. It was how do I trust that even when it doesn't really look like it, I'll be okay. Even when it's a little bit uncomfortable, God will provide for me. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. I don't think that poverty is part of God's plan for us. I don't think he's in favor of that. I don't think that struggling is part of God's plan for us, but I do think that he will allow a little bit of financial hardship if it teaches me to trust in him. Number four, things previously unknown. Jesus uh, sends out his first missionaries. This is in Luke 10. It's in the other Gospels also. 
Um, so obviously, like all good mission leaders, he has a bunch of meetings, he gets everybody together, gives them an itinerary, he says, this is the hotels you're going to be staying in, this is where we're going to eat, you're going to go to the, you know, amusement park on this day and this day, somewhere in between there we'll work in, you know, some work. And, uh, no. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, just go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. He doesn't even want them to be prepared. He says, don't take a purse or a bag or even sandals. Oh, and also, don't talk to anybody because, you know, it's just kind of lonely out there, so get used to it. Jesus sends out his missionaries with nothing. He sends them out in total reliance on him. Jesus wants to make sure that the people he sends out have the opportunity to grow in both their identity by learning how God will provide for them, how he will take care of them, who they are in relationship to him, so that they can go and do this amazing work that they are responsible for. They come back and their minds are blown because the way that they have relied on Jesus has enabled them to do stuff that they have never seen before. They come back and they say, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. It is really normal that when God is preparing you for something, he will send you through the wilderness. He will send you into the desert. Our seasons of wilderness surviving prepare us for kingdom work and our seasons of thriving. Took me a long time to write that, so I would appreciate some applause. (laughs) Great. Number five, discipline and repentance. Yes, your favorite words. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God will discipline you. The Israelites are in the desert for so long because they disobey God. God knows they're not ready to enter the promised land, and he loves them too much to send them there. So he makes them wait, makes them work it out. This would tell me that sometimes the reason we're in a desert season, sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness, it is actually our fault. Ouch. God will meet you in the wilderness. He will meet you in the desert. My encouragement to you would be at that point to pray that part in Psalms where it says, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. When you find yourself in the desert, when you find yourself in the wilderness, when it is cold, when it is empty, that is a great opportunity to stop and say, God, what's going on? Search me. We are a big fan of something called the learning circle here, which is basically where you're walking along this way and then you notice something and you say, oh, this has my attention. Maybe it's a wall. Maybe it's a desert. Maybe it's a... Zach, help me. Speed bump. Roadblock. Yeah. And you pause and you, you, 
you try and figure out what that is with God and with the help of other people around you. Um, we're really big fans of that. Side note, don't be like Job's friends. If you see someone going through hardship, don't suggest that it is their fault. You don't know that. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. So, those are our fruits of the desert. I have a few survival tips for you, and then we're going to go watch some football. So, number one, remember your history. Don't be like the Israelites. They were led out of slavery. They walk through the bottom of a sea because Moses has separated this stuff. There is a pillar of fire. There is a cloud of smoke guiding them. And then when stuff starts to take a little bit longer than they think it should, they're like, I don't know. Do we trust in God to get us out of here? Don't forget your history. Remember your story. Remember what God has done and what he has said that you will do. If you are waiting for breakthrough in your life, if you are waiting to see something happen that you've never seen happen before, find someone who has seen it happen. We don't really have a testimony culture here. It's kind of a more charismatic-y thing, but I, there's so much power in the testimony. There's so much power in saying, God did this, and I think he wants to do it again. Jack, Tenant is a testimony of the goodness of God. It is so important that we remember what God has brought us through. Number two, worship. Are you creating space for God in the desert? It's empty. Lots of space. Worship can do that. One of the most important things that happens in the desert is the assembly of the tabernacle. There's a good word for you tabernacle. God gives them instructions on how to assemble this so that he can dwell among his people. Jesus was given to us so that the word becomes flesh and could take up residence among us. Worship is about God. It's not about us. But when we spend time focused on Jesus, when we spend time singing about the nature and the character of God, it is only normal for us to remember who we are, who he says we are, how big he is. Worship declares the nature of God. One of the most important things I learned at ministry school, one of the most important things I learned in that season of my life were like, dude, it just didn't look like I thought it was gonna look. Um, one of the most important things I learned was how to worship in disappointment, how to look at things, how to look at sadness and brokenness and just say, you know what? God, this doesn't define who you are. My circumstances do not affect who you are. You are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. There's this really interesting thing that's happening in the book of Job. 
because Job feels like God has left him. He feels like he's out there all alone. But we know that actually what's happening is all of heaven is watching and waiting. And they're like, what is he going to do? What's he going to do? What are you going to do? Your life sucks. It's a mess. What are you going to do? Are you going to let that define God? I think when we choose to worship God in the midst of our disappointment, that has got to be like the worst thing ever that the devil has ever seen. I think that's got to wreck his day when we look at what we're going through and we say, but you are good. I know you. Third tip, hope in a resurrection. There are seasons of your life that are going to feel like death. When I first kind of got serious about following Jesus, there were a lot of relationships in my life that needed to die. There were a lot of things I was doing that needed to die. So I went from having friends, having like, you know, activities, this is how I spend my weekend time, to like, well, now what? I'm lonely, I'm bored, I got this Jesus dude, but what the heck does that even mean? <laughs> that was a death. Those relationships died, but the hope of the gospel is that after every death, there is resurrection life, and you cannot get there unless you go through the death. Number four, embrace the desert. Julie, if you guys want to come up. Embrace the desert. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it throughout Scripture that God wants to use the wilderness and the silence of the desert to help you grow in relationship with him. The habits that you are forming in this season right now, whether it's good or it's bad, are what are going to carry you through the next season. Kyle gave us three questions to be reflecting on every week during this sermon series. I'm going to read those for you. Number one, what are we doing today? God, where are we going? I don't even know, like, where am I right now? Where do you want my next step to be? Number two, what do I need reminded of today? God, remind me who you are. Remind me what you say about me. Remind me what you tell us about yourself. Number three, who do I need to pay attention to today? God, who can I bless with my vulnerability? Who can I walk through this season with? Who has been there? The good news is, it's really quiet in the desert. So hearing the voice of God will, could be easy. God leads his people into the wilderness. My prayer for all of us is that when we reach the other side, we can, just as Job did, say, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I want to pray for you uh, right now before we get into communion. Jesus, thank you for um, these people. Thank you for these desert warriors. Thank you that um, you comfort us. 
Thank you that you give us each other. God, I ask that um, no matter what season we're in right now, that we would just be seeing like new revelations of how much you love us, new revelations of who you are. Give us the confidence to look at stuff that doesn't make sense and say, God, I know that you are good. God, my prayer is that we would be able to get on the other side of the wilderness and say, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Amen. God gave the Israelites manna in the desert. Jesus is our manna. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, sorry, I should have thought about the hand sanitizer before now. Too much. Uh, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The way communion works here is you will come up and someone will hand you a piece of bread. You will take your bread and you will dip it in the wine and then you will put it in your mouth. If you drop your bread, leave it. We'll get you a new one. Uh, everyone is welcome at this table. Uh, can I get Mitch Mitch and Carol and young Dan? to come help me serve communion. Well, Jesus, make us a vessel. Amen. Let's go watch football or whatever. <laughs>